I really like to receive gifts. I'm not appealing for gifts right now. I'm just saying I like to receive. I bet you do too. I bet most of us like to get gifts. And uh, I've received some cool gifts through the years, but I've been really amazed at the gifts that have become most significant to me. One of them was a gift that I was given by a little girl when I was a youth minister years ago in a little bitty church in a faraway town of Texas called North Zulch. So I was the youth pastor of First Baptist North Zulch. And one Sunday before Christmas, this little girl, about 10 years old, she came up to me with a, a glass jar that was in the shape of a Santa Claus filled with peanuts and a lid on there. And she said, I want you to have this for Christmas. Thank you for everything you do for our family. And uh, the reason that was so special to me is because that little girl probably was not getting anything for Christmas. They had no means, they are impoverished family. And she found a way to give to me just because she loved me. And I ended up keeping that jar. And I made that jar my change jar, my loose change jar. So every day I'd come in, if I had loose change in my pocket, I'd drop it in that jar. And that jar could remind me of generosity and love. And that's pretty significant. I, I got another little gift that was given to me. It's this little gold trophy. I've put it in my office. I've had it in my office for years. I probably had it in my office somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 years. And it's probably meaningless to anybody else, but to me, it's incredibly significant. I love having this in my office so that when I go in there, I'm reminded of what this means to me. See, the words on this little trophy is world's greatest father. Now, I know I'm not competing with you guys out there who are dads, and I know that I'm not the world's greatest dad, but that trophy reminds me every day that my kids love me, and it's meaningful to me. It just reminds me that the significance of gifts are tied to the relationship you have with the giver. And I'm hoping that this morning, as we dig into God's word, you would be reminded of just how amazing God is as a giver of gifts, that he has unlimited means, he has generosity beyond our imagination, and that he has chosen to lavish upon his church gifts of renown. And we get to read about that today. So let's look at Revelation chapter 1. Let's start reading together in verse 4. Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 4. It says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. And so there we get this reminder that John is the one that's communicating the message that he's received from the Lord in terms of a revelation of Jesus Christ. So John's conveying this to seven churches initially. We're going to see those seven churches mapped out as we get into chapter 2 and 3. And then we're going to see the general message given to all seven of those churches. And then it's been preserved by the Spirit of God for us as a local church so that we are now receiving the message that John was given for the church. And so this morning, we get to read the very message that God wants us to have right now as a local church. All right, so let's keep reading. Grace to you and peace from the one who is and from the one who was and the one who is coming and from the seven spirits which are before his throne 
and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. So this is addressed to the church. Now the way you become a part of the church is through faith in Jesus Christ. So when these guys were baptized this morning, right here for us to see, what they're telling you is that they've trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and by his promise, he has brought them into his family, and they are part of his church. And so the, re the way you get into the church of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. And so this letter is written to everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who are now functioning as a part of a local community of believers. And the first thing that God wants to remind those people of is that they have received grace and peace. These are gifts. I mean, grace, the very word grace is a, is a word of gift. It's undeserved favor of God. God has poured out on us his, his favor. We did not deserve it. We did not earn it. We do not do anything to merit it. He just pours out his favor on us. That's his grace, unmerited favor. And he pours out on us his peace, this wholeness of heart and soul that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a satisfaction of heart and soul that comes no other way except the, the way that Jesus Christ, our creator, intended to come through faith in him. And these gifts are given to us and it's from God. And look at the descriptions here of God. You've got the first description, the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is coming. That echoes back into Exodus chapter 3, when Moses was charged to bring the people of God out of Egypt to the deliverance of God. And Moses says, who am I supposed to tell them that has sent me to them? And God says, you tell them this is my name. My name is I am who I am. There's nobody like me, nobody that can deliver like me. When I say I'm gonna do something, that's exactly what's gonna happen. I am who I am, no one like me. And we see right here a paraphrasing of that very name of God, the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is coming. And we see that this is also grace and peace from the seven spirits which are before the throne of God. That's just a term that's going to be used several times between now and the end of chapter 5 in Revelation. It's used something similar to that back in Zechariah chapter 4. It's just a term that describes the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And so this gift of grace and peace is given to us by God who is like no other, by way of His Holy Spirit who resides with each one of us who has believed in Jesus Christ. And then the third picture of God is Jesus Christ, from Jesus Christ. And there are three terms that describe the person of Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. He has given us his word to display what we need to know about him, and every word that he has delivered to us by the scripture is an accurate, truthful, trustworthy word from him. Because if he unveils himself, he's unveiling about himself what is true and right so that we can trust him in every way. He is the faithful witness and what he says about himself is true and right and what he promises that he will do is trustworthy and dependable. He is reliable like no other faithful witness. He's the firstborn from the dead. Simply means he has supremacy over death. 
where death previously had a sting. It was taking out on every, certain, every single person in creation. Jesus Christ, by virtue of his resurrection, demonstrated supremacy over death. He overcame it. He beat it. Death lost its sting. And so now, for those who trust in Jesus Christ, he gives us the confidence of the resurrection because he's gone there before us and defeated death. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's also the ruler of the kings of the earth. There's not an authority on the face of the earth that can stand in the way of what Jesus Christ has promised those who trust him. No one, nothing, no circumstance, no occurrence, no unforeseen dilemma, nothing can stand in the way of God delivering these gifts of grace and peace to those who trust in Jesus Christ because he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is the greatest authority of all. That's who Jesus Christ is. And he has given us gifts of grace and peace. The next section here in Revelation is going to tell us that Jesus Christ is worthy of all glory and might. So he's given us the gifts of grace and peace. We see who God is, is the giver of these gifts, which is supposed to secure our hearts to the reality of these gifts. And then we are to then say, because what Jesus Christ has done for us, to him be all the glory and might. No one deserves the credit for what's happened to us except Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And now we're going to see some specifics in this next passage about what Jesus Christ has done for us. A description of grace and peace that is absolutely phenomenal. So let's, let's keep looking at it here. Revelation chapter 1, let's start reading again in verse 5. To him who loved us and released us from our sins by his blood. And made us a kingdom, priests to God and his Father. To him be the glory and the might forever and ever. Amen. So Jesus Christ deserves all the credit for what he has done in us through grace and peace being gifted to us. Specifically, to Jesus Christ be the glory because he loved us. To the one who loved us be all glory. Jesus Christ loves you. You didn't have to deserve it. You didn't have to make yourself lovable before he determined to love you. You didn't have to clean up your act before Jesus Christ decided that he would bestow his love upon you. God did not say to you, not a single person in this room, did God say, you've got to get your life together before I can love you because you're too big of a mess for me to love. No, what God said is you're such a big mess that if I don't love you, nobody will. And the moment I love you, I make you lovable. The moment I love you, it changes your eternity. I have loved you not because you deserve my love, but because I am a good God who's displayed his love towards you in the person of Jesus Christ. I love you. When you walked in this room this morning, whether you realized it or not, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a recipient of God's perfect love. Just the way you are, just how you are, just who you are. He loves you. And Jesus deserves all the credit 
for him loving you. He's released you from your sin. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, what that means is your sin, which was previously held against you, has now been completely released from you so that you bear no more guilt for your sin. Whatever sins you have done in the past, whatever sins you will do between now and the time you die or Christ returns, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, his blood shed on the cross for you has released you from sin. So that when you think about Jesus returning as a judge, which we're going to see throughout Revelation, the judge is coming. But when you think about Jesus Christ returning as a judge, you know that by your faith in Jesus Christ and his release of your sins, you don't have to be afraid that he's coming as judge because though he's coming as judge, he will simply save you by his grace and peace into eternal life. You've been released from your sins. Every single sin, you've been released from that guilt and forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. It, it doesn't matter what you do before today or after today. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been released from your sin by his blood. You can't do anything in your life to secure or deserve a release from your sins. You can't do it. And so Jesus Christ shed his blood for you, and he did the only work that will set you free from the guilt of your sin. He has released you from your sin. That is reality, and he deserves all the credit. If you had done anything to deserve his love, if you'd done anything to release yourself from your own sin, then Jesus Christ is not due all glory. The fact is, he is due all the credit for everything that's happened in you because he has done it all. He has loved you, he's released you from your sins, and he has called you to be a kingdom of priests I'm, I'm pretty sure that probably none of you wake up on Monday morning and think, it's good to be a priest. It's kind of weird. So what does that really mean? That Jesus Christ is due all the credit because he's made us a kingdom of priests. So here we are, First Baptist Church, and he's brought us together as a community of faith who know we deserve no credit for what God is working in us that it's simply because God has perfectly loved us and completely released us from our sin that we are who we are. As so we gather as a people of faith who know the love of God and the forgiveness of sins from God through Christ, and therefore when we leave these doors, we are uniquely equipped in all the world to be an ambassador, a representative of what God is offering to the world in Jesus Christ so that we are a priest to the world. Simply means, see the priest in the Old Testament they would just say to the Lord, I say to the people, I have a word from the Lord for you. I'm a representative who's been in the presence of God. I want to tell you how to honor him. I want to tell you how to please him. I'll be there to intercede for you. I'll make sure you're right with him. So what do we get to do? We get to be the people in the world right now who are uniquely equipped by virtue of everything that Jesus has done to stand in our world right where we live and say to people, I know who Jesus Christ is. He has forgiven me of all my sin. He has loved me with a perfect love. Of, not because I deserved it, but because of who he is. And I'm standing in your midst right now telling you that Jesus Christ gets all the credit for who I am and who I'm becoming. And he's offered you the same opportunity. 
I'm not better than you. I might, in fact, be worse than you. But here's the reality. Jesus Christ has chosen to love me and release me of all sin, and I'm standing before you to see the appeal of Christ in and through my life. That's what he's done for each and every one of us. He's made us a kingdom of priests. And did you know that your ability to be a priest, a representative for the gospel, is completely dependent on Christ? If it's dependent on you, then you get some of the credit. This passage says that Jesus gets all the credit. And so everything you need to be, everything you want to be, to be a priest in the middle of your world, telling people about Jesus Christ has been supplied to you by Christ. This is who you are. You are perfectly loved. You are completely forgiven. And you are equipped and called to be a representative in the world in which you live of the love of Christ, just like you are just who you are, because that's how great Jesus is. That's the gift of grace and peace. Do you, do you ever not act like that in your life? I mean, the reality is we are perfectly loved, we're completely forgiven, and we are uniquely enabled to be ambassadors. But do, but do you ever not act like that? Am I the only one here that, I mean, doesn't that happen every week? Like, I'm driving down the street and, and somebody cuts me off. And I'm like, man, that guy's a jerk. Well, I don't know that guy. Maybe he didn't see me. But you know what? My reaction is some of the most trivial matters. Like if I'm, 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 I'm traveling somewhere and I got a plane flight and it's delayed, like I'll actually get mad at the airlines. It's just weird that, that I begin to act ways over trivial matters that don't line up with the fact that God perfectly loves me. See, if God perfectly loves me, then when the things that happen in my life that are unexpected, unforeseen, maybe a little frustrating in the moment, then I've got to reorient what I think about all those things through the lens of God's perfect love for me. But I don't always do that, little things and big things. I don't always act like I'm released from sin. I've had a lot of conversations with, with particularly men in the church over the years who come to me and say things like this, man, I cannot get victory over that sin. I'm completely in bondage in that area. I need God to give me strength. I need God to give me deliverance. I need victory in this area of my life in sin. And I'll say to them, well, when I read Jesus' faithful witness, what Jesus says is that he already gave you the strength to overcome and he actually already overcame and he's victorious over every sin that you think you're battling with. So maybe what you're asking for, he already answered a long time ago at the cross. And you need to live in it. See, I'm, I'm like that too. Sometimes I don't live like I've been released from sin. Sometimes we don't act like we're actually ambassadors or priests in the world that God has placed us. We think things like this. I really want to share Christ with my friend at work. But if I shared Christ with my friend at work, they're going to really not be okay with that because they're going to see how much I've been messing up. And they won't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And all of a sudden, we begin to think something about being an ambassador that is not consistent with what reality is. 
See, reality is Jesus deserves all the glory. I'm an ambassador of him, whether I'm doing what I need to do or not at any given moment. And I've got to trust that this thing is about Christ, not about me. And the reason I can share Christ with somebody, even though I made a mistake the day before, is because Christ loves me, has released me from sin, and called me to be an ambassador for him right where I live. And you never know how just being who you are, where you are, how you are, can be used in the hands of Jesus Christ, who is faithful and true. But the fact is, we don't always act like it. And when we don't act like it, guess what? We don't feel like it. Every time that I don't act like I'm loved, then I start to wonder, man, how can he really love me? When I don't act like I'm forgiven, I can think, well, man, how can I really be forgiven? I don't even act like I am. How can I really? And I start not feeling like it. And we get into this trap of not acting and not feeling, and then we begin to question whether or not the world would even respond. Will the world even respond if I share Christ? Because I certainly don't act like it like I should, and I don't feel like it half the time that I probably should feel like it. And why would the world listen to me? And all of a sudden, we're living on the basis of something that is not true instead of living on the basis of who Jesus Christ is and what he's declared to be so in each of our lives by way of grace and peace. We have got to get past the fact that we didn't do this, that it was God's gift of grace and peace and trust what he says. We're all wearing that name tag says, please excuse my mess. We're not wearing the name tag because the mess has not been cleaned up by Jesus Christ. We're wearing the name tag because we're all walking through that cleaning every day. But the fact is, he's already cleaned us up. And we need to believe it. Live like it. Striving forward every day towards what is right and true. Regardless of what we do, feel, or how people respond. What Jesus Christ has said is more significant than what we act like, feel like, or how the world responds to us. These gifts are significant because of the giver, Jesus Christ. And I love that the book of Revelation has been written to a people just like us who needed the encouragement and the hope that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And that's why he says in verse 7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn over him. This is how it's supposed to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is coming, the Almighty. We are supposed to be encouraged to be a people of hope in spite of the fact that we act certain ways or feel certain ways or the world responds certain ways in any given moment because Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, who has overcome death, who rules over all authorities, will return on the clouds as the King of kings. And we are to be a people who are garnered by that hope in every moment, no matter what we may do, no matter what we may feel, no matter what the world may think. Think about us in any given moment. We are to be garnered by that hope that Jesus is returning, 
the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he will unveil himself to the world in such a way that when the world sees who he is, the world that has not come to trust him as Lord and Savior, the world that sees him as he is will be immediately struck with mourning because in that moment they will recognize that everything Jesus said he was, everything that the Bible communicated about Jesus is absolutely true. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And in that moment, the world will mourn because the world world will not have an opportunity to turn to Christ in repentance and experience salvation. He will simply come as a judge in that moment, and the world will mourn. But, but we're included in that phrase, all the peoples of the earth. When Jesus returns, this communicates that we will mourn. In that moment that we see Jesus Christ as he is, we will be shaken to the core. And it will dawn on all of us to a degree that we've never experienced before. We're just tasting moments of being undeserving. We're just tasting moments of not getting it done enough in honor of Christ. But when Christ returns, we will be shattered to the core because in that moment, we will see Jesus for who he is and we will recognize that no matter what we did, it wasn't enough. No matter how we served, it wasn't good enough. No matter how we loved, it wasn't perfect enough. No matter how we gave, it wasn't generous enough. No matter what we did with our lives, it was still a far cry from what Jesus deserved. He's deserving of all glory and all honor and everything I've done with all my life, even if it was as perfect as a human could be, falls so very short of what Jesus is deserving and I will be crumbled before him in mourning over the fact that I did not love him enough. I did not give enough. I did not serve enough. He is far more deserving and I am far more needy than I ever imagined. And on that moment, I will see for the first time ever what he really is like and it will crush me because I did not deserve his love. But in that moment, for those who have loved Christ and believed in him, he will remind us, I am the one who is the one who was and the one who is coming. I am the firstborn over the dead. I am the ruler of the kings of the earth and I have loved you. I've loved you and I've wiped your sins away and I've made you my people. And in that moment, Revelation chapter 21, 4 will be true because in that moment, Jesus will wipe every tear from our eye and we will never again taste sorrow, regret, pain. It'll be over forever. That moment will be the final moment of mourning for eternity because in that moment, we will fully realize all we are in Christ so much so that all we are in Christ from that moment forward will be all we are forever. That is the gift he can't wait to give you. So hang on. No matter how you act today, hang on to Christ. No matter how you feel today, hang on to Christ. No matter how the world responds to you in the weeks to come, hang on to Christ. He is worth hanging on to.
back in May of 2015, we came here in view of a call. And what that means is you come uh, as your, your family comes and I stand in front of you all and I try to preach a good enough sermon for you to be convinced it's God's will for me to be here. <laughs> that didn't happen, but you voted anyway for me to come. And so you called our family to be here and we are so grateful for, for that call in our lives. But little did I know in that moment that the day before, on May 16th, that my daughter Malin would meet a young man named Micah who had grown up in this church, who you loved and nurtured to follow Christ along with his family. And that 16 months later, he would ask Malin to marry him. I had no idea that would happen. Now think about the handiwork of God to say, I'm going to bring you to this place. This is my gift to you, but I'm going to craft another gift. You have no idea that's unfolding. And God has given us this great gift. And we celebrated this weekend as that happened, and we've been telling everybody. We can't keep from talking about it. In fact, this morning, before I left the house, Lonely said, are you going to tell the church about it? I was like, no, I'm not telling everybody about it. That's ridiculous. And then I couldn't help it. <laughs> I had to tell. There was no way to get around it. I mean, when you get a gift that good, you can't help but talk about it. I'm just, I've just been praying that we would see just how good the gifts of grace and peace are. So much so that when we leave here today, we can't help but talk about it. Because we got a world out there that needs to hear about what Jesus gets all the credit for. Do you see the amazing gift of grace and peace?